How do you build a community around a game? My name's Jonathan, and this is The Snakes Cast, the podcast for people who don't know as much about games as they'd like to know. Nearly all games have the power to bring people together, but this week, we're going to take a special look at games that create entire communities. Welcome back to The Snakes Cast. Back again this week, Maddie McLean. Hi. And very special guest, Eric Lang. Rawr! So last week we spoke about Pokemon Go and the ad hoc communities that it's created all around the, the world, that, uh, all these communities that play the game. Uh, getting together with a game group is awesome, but some games draw people in who've never met each other before simply through the game, whether it's clubs or tournaments, societies, conventions. Uh, playing chess in the park was kind of uh, one of the very old school sort of example of this, where it would just be chess tables set up in the park and any random stranger can walk up and join a game with somebody they've never met before. And Pokemon Go is the latest, you know, massive sort of example of this. Um, have you ever joined a game that made you feel like you were part of a community? Oh, absolutely. Um, most of those, ironically, were digital games. Um, I was mm. big time into MMORPGs, EverQuest, Warcraft, World of Warcraft, stuff like that. Um, they're super, super efficient at it, and they even actually led to uh, face-to-face meetups. How about you, Manny? Uh, for me, it's mostly just been, like, throughout my life, I've played games with friends. Mm-hmm. And I think probably the closest thing I've had to, like, a gaming club would be Snakes and Lattes, or <laughs> the gaming guild I'm a part of, that we, we meet every Tuesday and play, like, a random deep euro, so... Have you ever have you felt sort of put off by the idea of uh, of joining of entering a group where you don't know anybody except through shared enjoyment of a particular game? Is it intimidating? Uh, for me, not really. I'm usually a pretty open person. I just mm. have never really put myself out there for that particular type of interaction. So, a particular reason why not, or just no interest? Usually, I just don't hear about them, so I don't go. I <laughs> but. I can, I can usually be clueless about some pretty good things. So. Same happens with me. Um, I've always been really, really shy about just showing up unannounced at some tournament or some event uh, where the only thing I have in common with the other people there is the game itself that we all enjoy. And, uh, and part of that, I think, is because communities, by their nature, include both an inside and an outside. And being on the outside at first, it, it, can, be, it can be scary sort of trying to approach this. So what type of games benefit most from having a community? Once you get inside, it can be amazing being part of something that's, you know, being on the inside. What sort of games benefit the most from having that sort of sense of a larger group where you have that game as a common interest? Uh, I would definitely say living games. Uh, So living games include games like uh, massively multiplayer online games, like collectible card games like Magic Gathering, like Pokemon um, other lifestyle games like chess that have uh, that have competitive tournament ladders. Right. So lifestyle games, games where you you kind of dedicate yourself to that. You're focused on this. That's right. That, where that's you, your game. You, where you consider uh, lifestyle games are where you self-identify as that kind right. of. Right. I'm a chess right. player. Yeah. I'm a magic player. Absolutely. And uh, and they benefit from from communities because of the way the metagame shakes out. Because of uh, you know, what elements of it uh, of its service that particular style of game. Uh, well, I find they, uh, those kind of um, bifurcate into competitive and cooperative. Mm-hmm. So on the competitive side, like chess or like magic or even like Pokemon, you end up, um, you end up creating little teams, uh, teams of, play- of like-minded players that just want to research together, they want to build decks together, they want to un- um, learn from each other and practice. Kind of like the and- clans in an MMO. That uh, yes, but the, so the the MMO ones are cooperative. That right. they're always focused on a common goal. All we want to do is we want to beat 
the quote unquote developers. Right, I want to beat but, the game. Right, and the other sides is uh, they end up creating these little tribes that are always um, fighting. They're always playing against each other, and they're trying to gain advantage on each other. But they're use they're creating communities in order to hive mind a little bit. Mm. So, Maddie, if you and I were going to try and get into a community somewhere, join a game group, join a sort of a society that gets into a game. Which of those two things do you think is more appealing? It's going to be you and your your clan against other clans, or you and your clan against the game? Uh, for me, it would be more about my clan against the game, mm-hmm. which is something I find... Well, I find actually recently, having having gotten to Pokemon Go, right. and like joining Team Mystic, and then being like... There's all sorts of in-jokes that have already popped up that you can kind of take part in and be like, yes, this is a, a general... Actually, Stella just recently joined as well. So. Yay, Stella. So, <laughs> but essentially having those little in-jokes and having those little things that pop up as you go along, there's something really thrilling about that and being like, yes, this is something I participated in. This is something I, as Eric said, identify with. So right. That shared experience, that shared mm-hmm. community. So some communities out there thrive and others tend to sort of not do so well. Some sort of rise up and just keep going from strength to strength. Others kind of fade away and disappear after a while. We see this in uh, massively multiplayer online games. We see this to a certain extent in, in, in tabletop games as well. Uh, a healthy community would have to be one, I guess, that attracts new players and retains existing players. Uh, we can talk about things like Games Workshop and uh, what's happened with their own community. We can talk about Magic the Gathering, Chess, Pokemon Go. What what are some communities that have succeeded? Why have they succeeded? And what are some failings? What are some things that have caused some of these communities to die off? Uh, I mean, I think the biggest success stories, ironically, are not in, around any one particular game. Mm-hmm. They're usually stuff like uh, BoardGameMeetup.com or something like that, where uh, it's a group of like-minded players who usually have a portal, like an internet portal or something where they can uh, communicate through and then meet in fa- uh, face-to-face. Just because it, in that case their interest is always sustained. They're always discovering new games together and not necessarily uh, totally immersed in one. Uh, I find the ones that, the communities that are always, um, that are based around one game, they tend to rise and fall just like, I mean, like totally like little microcosmic civilizations, Mm. right? People's interest in the game waxes and wanes um, or because they're little communities, you end up with, you know, the usual drama or sometimes toxicity, um, because everybody is focused so much on one goal and there ends up being a little bit of internal competition or uh, social issues might rise up. Right. What are some things that might uh, draw you to one of these things or drive you away, even if you'd uh, been part of it for a while? Well, I think a lot of it has to do with theme and the people who are playing the game. Because mm-hmm. I remember, like, there's, there have been games that I've tried to play in the past, like World of Warcraft and back in the day City of Heroes and stuff like that, where I would go on and try to play, but I just either couldn't grasp the overall concepts or... I didn't feel like I was having the amount of fun other people were having. Why so, not? I don't know. Actually, I think it's just maybe I was looking for something else. I'm, I'm more of like a story-based gamer. I see. So I really enjoy engaging narrative. It's hard so, to do that uh, in, a, in, a, in, a, in an online game like that because mm-hmm. it can't ever really be about you exactly. Yeah. Right. But, the, but uh, same thing with something like Magic the Gathering. I mean, you might see a sort of an on... The, the, the meta story for that is, oh, well, you know, blue-black control is all the deal now. But uh, it won't so much be about the, uh, the characters in the story, and it won't so much be about your role in the story either as a player, unless... You know, it's well, like, in a way, actually, I would say it is, right? So when you're talking about the competitive scene, like games mm-hmm. like Magic Gathering, it actually becomes much more analogous to sports in that particular case, right. where the story is literally, it's your career. It's right, your, it's the players. Exactly right. And they end up, uh, you end up building yourself a persona and um, rising and falling through there. I mean, we've... 
we all know about like the are the John Finkels of magic and some of the bad guys and the good guys and the people you have to root for and not and they have, <laughs> right, they have the heels in the faces like in professional wrestling exactly right and they have rivalries and stuff like that but that's meta game it transcends the actual game itself the game is just the glue that holds all that together it also seems like it appeals more to spectators than to actual players in some ways oh yeah absolutely yeah. and uh, but still the spectators are uh, that that's the pool of future players for any game in a lot of ways. Um, I think it comes down to like the, the new let's play theory where you know a right. part of engaging in a community is is just being a part of it and just watching someone else you know play like every night I go home and watch game grubs and I wouldn't <laughs> you know classify them as a particular type of gaming community but it is because it's there's hundreds of thousands of people watching these videos about two people playing a game which is and you all sort of rooting for your favorites together yeah that's something else that creates community as well you know not just playing but spectating too. One of the other things that, uh, that can sort of drive people out or draw people in is changes to the game itself. Um, one of the things that happened early in Magic's uh, life cycle was that the game started to get more and more complex as more and more cards came out. And Wizards began to realize that, uh, was, sorry, Wizards of the Coast, the publisher, began to realize that it was difficult for new people to get in because there was just so much they had to learn. So they did something quite brave and quite dangerous which was to simplify the game and cut a whole bunch of the, of the complex earlier cards just right out and, and get to a point where they cycled new cards in and cycled old cards out. Um, a lot of the old guard weren't very happy about this because a lot of them, they're, they're the things that they had built up as being part of their identity in this, this community, their skills, their, their, their cards, were suddenly gone. And, um, but, but, but by the same token, they were able to bring in new blood. This happens with Games Workshop when they release a new version of Warhammer. Um, how can you strike a balance um, as a publisher between keeping a game fresh and interesting and accessible for new players while still giving your old guard community a reason to stay in and be involved? Yeah, when I figure that out, I'll let you know. <laughs> I mean, that's, that is exactly, that, that is the balancing act that it's every publisher, right? And it's... Be, the fact that it is a dilemma is where you create perfect products, right? So the, well, the, the perfect product literally rides that tightrope where anything you do differently would alienate, would completely alienate one or the other. But the problem is that um, as a publisher, every decision you make about a game in its development uh, that helps one group, 90%, or sorry, I shouldn't say every, 90% of the decisions that you make that uh, help one group will alienate the other group. Mm. When you, uh, when you, simplify a game in order to uh, bring new players in that for the in uh, the old guard it's dumbing it down air right. Quotes, right and they don't appreciate that because they already have all this institutional knowledge that they're now they're losing so it's it is tough right so basically what we do as publishers is we accept something that we call churn which is the um the rate of players leaving the game compared to the rate of players coming into the game we accept that some people are just going to leave nobody can be interested in something in a game forever so um what we have to do is just make sure that the the number of people leaving is smaller than the number of people coming in. Uh, and at the end of the day, um, we as publishers, we're all the old guard. We know our game very, very well. So we have to kind of fight our own instincts very often and go like, oh, I think this game is less complex than it used to be. I don't think this game is as complex as new players are saying because I already know everything. <laughs> so we kind of have to go like, well, I'm wrong. Let's listen to the new guys and work, uh, work a little bit more toward them. It's tough. 
Well, we've talked a little bit about, well, Eric has enlightened us, really, frankly, <laughs> about uh, some ways that manufacturers can improve their communities. Uh, let's talk about ways that players can improve their communities by making them more welcoming. Can you speak to that at all, Matt? Has people ever made you feel particularly good or not so good about being a part of uh, these sort of groups that you've been, you've been joining in? Especially well, if, there, if there's one thing that every gamer is good at, it's, you know, approaching awkward social situations. You know, it's... it's <laughs> Uh, I don't know. I think it's coming down. I think when it comes down to it, just having that whole recognition that there are always going to be new people. There's always going to be people who are better and worse than you. Mm. And uh, I think just the important thing is to be not be a dick about life. That's yeah. Will Wheaton's <laughs> law does seem to be generally a useful thing. Mm-hmm. But um, it's and, and, I, and I can sort of see why it's difficult too. Because again, part of the magic of being in a community is realizing that you are in, and there are other people who are not in. And mm-hmm. that, that specialness, that sense of being separate from the others, uh, does there, there's a danger in that, yeah. of seeing outsiders as being invaders or intruders or enemies. Well, I think it comes down to the whole clique versus collective sort of yeah. thing. Like, a clique is something that will last for a little while and then will disappear and die. Mm-hmm. But Whereas a collective is something that has the potential to grow and become more complex with more people added and... Giving it permission to, like, I don't hang out with the same people I did five years ago. Sure. It's not that I don't have anything against them. It's just people grow and communities do the same thing. So, so yeah, it's, I, I guess uh, not even beyond being, you know, not being a dick, following the Wheaton's <laughs> law, um, recognizing that, uh, that that is a living thing, that people come in and out, like Eric was saying, and uh, making it welcoming and, uh, and accessible as well, not only in terms of the game, but in terms of the way people approach it, the way people play it, the way people approach outsiders can do a lot to keep this healthy. Um, I think that, um, that in, in, in some cases we see games like, uh, like, like Warhammer and so on, which are in themselves very, very hardcore, very, I think a fairly high barrier to entry, uh, as being more, lending themselves more to that sense of, ex- of exclusion, that sense of we are on the inside, you are on the outside. Uh, did you guys hear about, uh, what was it, uh, the new version of Warhammer Fantasy that had all these rules, like if you're, if you're playing as an elf, then if you manage to not smile for a certain period of time, then you get some kind of bonus. They were like silly sort of uh, rules like this. Did you hear about this? It's called Sigmar or something like that? Uh, yeah. That, that was, I think a lot of that was were theoretical rules. But they, all, they have the sportsmanship reward, right? Mm-hmm. That your opponents give you a sportsmanship score, how much fun you made the game for them. I think that's really cool. I, mean, I remember uh, in Babylon 5 tournaments way back in the day, this is one of these really obscure little collectible card games right. from the boom in the 90s. Uh, the tournaments almost always awarded the big prizes to people who were chosen by their opponents as being more fun to play with. Absolutely. Absolutely. Actually, the, so this is the um, making making a gaming community welcome always, I mean, it starts from within, right? This is mm-hmm. something that, this is a, a pretty big topic for me, but yeah. the um, just the idea that I think that what we can do to educate like gamers, be newer or especially experienced gamers, uh, is that like fun is not a zero sum game. Right. And a lot of people end up with that, right? Where it's like, if in order for other people to have fun, it's taking away from my fun somehow. Right. It's, so we're so it's, used to that idea that if I have a thing and then you have a thing, that means I don't have it anymore. Right. Whereas in cases like, you know, if I give you an idea, now we both have the idea. It's the same thing with fun. If Absolutely. I'm having fun and you're having fun, now we're both having fun. I mean, we all so have. You, you want a fun game for two? <laughs> there you go. I mean, we all have built-in empathy, right? We, like, there's there's uh, part of our hardwiring that is, uh, which is like it's how laughter works, it's how yawning works, all that stuff. When other people are having fun, it it's contagious. It catches on, and we end up having more fun. So, it theoretically, I mean, you know, there's we, we 
back in, in our pretentious designer laboratories, like we call that our <laughs> positive feedback loops and stuff like that. But that's exactly how it works. Mm. If you are, um, if you be the fun that you want to see in your games, then you absolutely, not only will you have more fun, but you'll have other people will have more fun by playing with you. And that just, that feeds itself. So by being more friendly, more accepting, more welcoming of right. all different kinds of people, then your whole community becomes stronger. Before we go, if you're interested in joining the community of Magic the Gathering players, you can visit Snakes and Lattes on Draft and Draft Night, where you can get a pint and draft some magic cards. We're trying as much as we can to make this the most accessible magic community around. So if you've ever been curious about this game, which has at times appeared to be very intimidating, and uh, from the point of view of some people who just want to get together, have fun, and create a gaming community together, go to snakesandlattes.com and check out Draft and Draft. All right, that's it for this week. If there's a topic you'd like to hear about on the show, tweet it to us at SnakesCast or post it on the Snakes and Lattes Facebook page. Matty, Eric, thanks for joining me. Thank you. It's a kind of magic. <laughs> the SnakesCast is produced by P.T. Douglas. Music is provided by Ben Sound. The opinions expressed on the show belong to the people in it and not the company behind it. Thanks for listening. Game on. Game on.